The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet from around the world, and also listeners who are joining us on new affiliates in New York, New Hampshire, Texas, Iowa, California, and from coast to coast in all 50 states. In just a moment, former director of the NSA and CIA, Mr. Michael Hayden will be joining us to talk about his riveting new book titled Playing to the Edge, American Intelligence in the Age of Terror. And he'll also weigh in on which of the current presidential candidates is most qualified to keep America safe. We'd look long and hard to find an expert more qualified to speak on the subject of intelligence and security in our country. But before Mr. Hayden joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Michael Vincent Hayden was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mr. Hayden earned his undergraduate and graduate degrees from Duquesne University and took part in the University of Pittsburgh's Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps program. He entered active military service in 1969 and during his esteemed career rose to the rank of four-star general. Hayden served as commander of the Air Intelligence Agency, director of the Joint Command and Control Warfare Center, deputy chief for the United Nations Command and U.S. Forces in Korea, and held senior positions at the Pentagon U.S. European Command and the National Security Council. In 1999, Mr. Hayden became the director of the National Security Administration, where he instituted major reforms through 2005. And then in 2006, he was overwhelmingly confirmed and sworn in as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Hayden inherited a disjointed, demoralized institution, which had produced faulty information regarding weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and failed to stop the 9-11 terrorists. And we'll talk more about the changes he instituted in the battles he fought in Congress to elevate the importance of intelligence gathering. General Hayden has been the recipient of more of our nation's highest awards and commendations than can be counted and is considered one of America's foremost experts on the legal limits of surveillance and interrogation. Today, General Hayden is a principal with the Chertoff Group and a visiting professor at George Mason University and popular commentator on Fox News. It's my honor to welcome to the program a man who knows more about keeping America safe than all of the presidential candidates combined. General Michael Hayden, welcome to the program, General. Well, Rebecca, first of all, thank you for that very generous introduction. <laughs> well, I uh, more than generous, I like to think it's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now, first, let me congratulate you on the release of your new book, Playing to the Edge. Uh, I thought it might be a good place to start our conversation Um by asking you what you mean by playing to the edge and how that philosophy guided the changes that you made at the NSA and CIA. Sure. So, so what I'm referring to here is uh, going to the outer limits of law and policy to do those things that are necessary to keep America both safe and free. Uh, what I generally describe in the book, Rebecca, is that we don't create that box. Uh, where those lines are, are the product of the American political and democratic process. But once those lines have been created, when the circumstances demand it, people who had jobs like I did have to use all the authorities that they've been given, knowing full well that, that on those outer edges, actions are almost inevitably controversial, and you're going to end up in front of an unpleasant congressional committee or an unpleasant member of the press 
or someone else complaining about your actions. But the thought is, if you play back from those lines, you may be making yourself more comfortable. You may be protecting your institution, but you're not using your full authorities to protect America. And so play to the edge. Use all the authorities that American law and policy give you. So when you say play to the edge, you're really in some ways testing that edge, aren't you? You Well, look, yeah, the, the, the edge is gray. Uh, one of the themes of the book is that there is very little that is starkly white or deathly black in, in terms of the actions that espionage agencies are required, required to do. And so you're always working. In fact, there's a line in there, Rebecca, where I talk about CIA especially because it conducts covert action. CIA especially operates on the outer edges of American law, American policy, and executive prerogative. And and so almost by definition, what it is these agencies will do will be contentious for significant portions of the American population. Well, now I happen to know a lot about contentiousness. (laughs) My father worked for the CIA in Laos during the Vietnam War, and he moved our family to Vinchin. And it seems to me that we had so many more eyes and ears on the ground in those days. Now, maybe this is just my perception, but do you think we've made a mistake in thinking that using technology to gather intelligence is just as good as human assets? Well, that, that's a great question, particularly going to me, who has headed up the nation's largest technical and the largest human intelligence agency. And so um, they're both necessary. And frankly, over time, the emphasis you place on each shifts just because of changes in the threat and changes in, in broader technology. Let me, let me give you a very, very current example, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. We're having this knife fight domestically between Apple and the Federal Bureau of Investigation over encryption, right? Yes. And, and frankly, I'm of the view that it really doesn't matter what Congress might legislate or what the courts might declare. The unavoidable large technological arc is that it's going to get more and more difficult to capture the content of intercepted communications for intelligence or for law enforcement. And frankly, again, what we do legally isn't going to change that. That's where the technology is going. Well, what that might suggest to you then, Rebecca, mm-hmm. is that if as we go forward, we may not be able to get as much as we've, we're getting currently from the intercept, the content intercepted communications. And then that and puts more pressure on human right. assets, doesn't exactly it? Exactly right. You, you need to shift your weight and, and go in that direction. You know, this is not a question of standing up there and complaining about the inevitable. You know, kind of get on with it, uh, live with it, make your adjustments. That's right. Well, when I look at it, the really true and valuable tips, such as where Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein were located, those came from human intelligence. That's not something we got from satellite pictures or or telephone metadata. Well, actually, the one I can really talk about with some personal knowledge is chasing after bin Laden. And it is true that human sources first put us on to the reality, or at least the deep suspicion, that he was communicating through couriers. Yes. And it was through the interrogation of some prisoners that we learned some more details about the courier. And, And then, Rebecca, we launched the Starfleet. All right. And, and, and by the time we got to Abbottabad, there were massive contributions from imagery and electronic surveillance that, that added to the base that, in this case, human intelligence had begun. So that is actually a case where we built the road to Abbottabad, not one brick, but one grain of sand at a time, and using all the tools that intelligence had available. That, that actually is a, a classic intelligence uh, success story. It is. So, it's it's I, I, where human intelligence, you know, initially gave the lead, but then technology confirmed it and and got it down to a granular level. Yeah, no, no, that's 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 certainly true. Look, when I was when I was director of NSA and George Tenet was over at CIA, George had a mantra that he would he would repeatedly say to me, Mike, 
SIGINT enabling human, human enabling SIGINT. In other words, human intelligence enabling signals intelligence, signals intelligence enabling human intelligence. Mm-hmm. That was the real secret. Yep, it, it, and I, I couldn't agree with you more having had that experience during the Vietnam War. Now, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. When we return, we'll find out why Hayden says America is safer than many countries in Europe. You're listening to the Costa Report. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com, that's RebeccaCosta.com, and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, you'll be glad you did. Caraccioli Cellars recently celebrated their fifth anniversary of their tasting room. This is what Enophiles had to say. My name is Samantha Cooper. The wines are so beautifully crafted, and you take so much time and effort that goes into making it uh, four years to make one bottle of wine, and they're just beautifully crafted, and they come out so amazing. My favorite would have to be the Brut Rosé. It's very near and dear to my heart. It was my wedding wine, actually. They loved it. Edmund Benich. Uh, I love the cuvee. I love the sparkle. It tickles my nose. Sarah Hines. I've been drinking Caraccioli for five years, and I love it. You know, I'm across the board on this. I've been drinking their sparkling wine for some time, and I love them all. I entertain a lot. I enjoy entertaining using the Caraccioli wines. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone at 831-622-7722. Are things getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, we'll meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants? We got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that, too. While you're at it, Pick up the essentials. Garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supply is offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery. Not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners, all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street, or look us up at coastpapersupplyinc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350. Cash flows and money move. The Money Moves show is dedicated to delivering tips and tools to help you earn more, save more, and protect your hard-earned assets. Host Pamela Fugit-Hetrick interacts with her guests and callers every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Recent topics have included what is going on locally with health insurance, tips to maximize your Social Security income, how do you build an emergency fund for your family, Medicare 101 tips, how do you choose and pay for home health care, and many other topics. So tune in, take notes, call and get answers to your financial questions from Pamela Fugit-Hedrick on Money Moves, Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's Money Moves, Thursdays, 7 p.m. on KSEO, AM 1080 Santa Cruz and KOMY 1340 Watsonville and 104.1 on your FM dial.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former head of the NSA and CIA, General Michael Hayden, who I want to mention has a powerful new book out titled Playing to the Edge. And I'm going to suggest to all our listeners today, you don't start this book early in the evening because you're not going to be able to put it down. It cost me at least a night's sleep, General. Uh, I, I wasn't able to put the book down. I think I wound up finishing it at four in the morning. So, oh, so yes. Yeah, so let, so listeners don't start this late in the afternoon, you know, take this away on a weekend and, and read this book. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm giving it my, my top recommendation. If you really want to know what goes on inside the NSA and the CIA, in particular, their relationship with Congress, I, I strongly recommend this book. Now, now, when it comes to terrorism, one of the reasons you claim uh, that makes America safe is the fact that we've not allowed dangerous, radicalized communities to grow. And so these attacks that we see inside the United States are coming from individuals. Can you speak to that for a moment? Sure. And here, Rebecca, I'm, I'm trying to distinguish the threat we face as opposed to the threat our European friends face. And, and there are several important differences. One's geography. I mean, we're just further away, and it's harder for the enemy to get here. Uh, the, the second is demographics. Uh, and here's the point you just raised. Um, we, we have about 3 million Muslims inside the United States, far more inside many European countries as a percentage of their populations. But more important than the numbers is the reality that as a society, we're welcoming and assimilating. The, the average Islamic income in the United States is above the national average, which is certainly not the truth when it comes to uh, countries, countries in Europe. And so, so I point out that although we, we do have from time to time radicalized individuals, we do not have, at least we do not yet have, radicalized communities. Now, here's the warning I put out there, Rebecca. We have it fully within our ability to create radicalized communities by the way we respond to some of the things going on globally. So we need to be very, very careful here. One other, one other factor I put in there with regard to why we are more safe than our European friends. And here, I know I'm giving, giving myself a bit of a grade here, Rebecca, but we're actually pretty good at this stuff. We've got big, powerful, aggressive, pretty well-empowered security services, and we work very hard at keeping the country safe. Well, when you say that we have the potential to create radicalized communities, what, what do you mean by that? How would we uh, instigate that? Sure. So, so the, the, the core element of the jihadist narrative globally is that there is undying hostility, inevitable hostility between Islam and the West, between Islam and what you and I would call the modern world. We reject that. I think any right person, right thinking person would reject that. On the other hand, when you have a presidential candidate saying, and I'm here, I'm nearly quoting verbatim, they all hate us, or at least many or most of them hate us, and and we shouldn't let any of them in our country until we figure some things out. We're reinforcing their narrative of this undying enmity between Islam and the West. We're actually singing their music. And, and those kinds of comments actually make the nation less safe than it would otherwise be. So what I'm should our not, position be? Yeah. Sure. Well, number one, we, we should continue to live the, the kind of society that, that we have been in the past, mm-hmm. that we are, we are welcoming of immigrants, that, that we are indeed religiously neutral when it comes to people uh, coming into this country, as long as they accept the social contract, which is the very fiber of the nation, which is the Constitution and, and, the, and the Bill of Rights. And so to discriminate or even pretend to discriminate based upon religion Again, I repeat, Rebecca, lives their story, mm-hmm. not ours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in, in some ways, we're just confirming their narrative. Exactly. When we say those things, mm-hmm. we are confirming their narratives. Now, now, Senator Cruz, and here I think this was far more of a question of vocabulary than it was of intent. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it kind of came out about patrolling Muslim neighborhoods. All right. Um, I don't think he meant that. But just the fact that it kind of came out that way, again, contributes to this them versus us reality, which heretofore really didn't exist here, at least not between broad communities and the broader society. 
Well, now Ann Coulter has come out and said, you know, we don't, we've got a shaky immigration policy. It's not clearly defined. Uh, rather than call out any particular Muslim group or racial group, why don't we just hit the pause button until we have a program everybody can agree on and that doesn't discriminate against any particular group? Um, would you be in favor of that? No, no, I wouldn't, because, you know, look, immigration is not an American problem. Immigration is an American blessing. No, I, I get it. Within the blessing, there are issues and things that we need to resolve. After we're a sovereign country, we should be able to control our borders. I get it. But fundamentally, when you compare ourselves to the other post-industrial democracies and even, even some of the industrialized countries uh, in, in the developing world, I mean, we are doing better than most and we're doing better than most in, in, in large measure, not exclusively. But one really important factor is we welcome outsiders. Look at the number of startups in this country that are created by first-generation Americans. Look at the number of people who come to American universities and want to stay here. So if you're looking, if you're looking for a macro immigration policy from, from me, Rebecca, yes. this is a bit out of my intelligence lane, but the macro immigration policy for me is that, number one, we have a right to control our borders and we should do that. Number two, we should develop mechanisms for those people who want to contribute to our economy at both the low end and the very high end to come into this country and do so. We're better for it. Mm-hmm. But one of the th- things that prevents these radicalized communities is a natural desire to assimilate. I think you used right. that word earlier. My own family, uh, my mother was Japanese, and there's a typical, uh, you know, a beautiful example of uh, a particular nationality that when they came to the United States, they had a tremendous desire to assimilate. You know, and yeah, so you don't absolutely. you don't see. Yeah, you don't see uh, you see the Japanese working in uh, equal proportion in, at all levels of society in all disciplines. Oh, no. Look, I, I came back from a three week trip to India and Norway mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting combination yesterday. I landed at Dulles, went through Global Entry, which is a wonderful system created by TSA. I'm waiting there for our bags. The first person we saw getting off the airplane to direct us to the customs area was clearly a Chinese-American. Right? The first language I heard for an announcement in the baggage area as to where bags were going to be stacked was in Spanish. <laughs> and as I went through for my final check and handed my documents to the final CBP, Customs and Border Patrol agent, there was a young man who was clearly first-generation America, almost certainly from Jamaica. God bless us. That's what makes us such a successful nation. So what do you say to people who are disturbed by that? I, well, I'd have to ask him, why, why? Look, I understand the displacement. I, I understand that, that someone could respond to what I just said, Rebecca, and say, well, that's a job that a native-born American could have had. But the fact of the matter is, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't denied the opportunity to get it either. That's right. That's right. And I I will tell you that my own mother, who became an American citizen, uh, was so grateful to have the opportunity. Uh, She came with not so much as a high school education and became the head of QA for Hewlett Packard. So there's a success story for you. We're going to be right back with more from General Michael Hayden. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors, and mobile devices transmit it. Big data is arriving from multiple sources with ever-increasing velocity, volume, and variety. It's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage, allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many. The escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture, tools, and practices. To extract meaningful value from big data, you need optimal processing power, analytics capabilities, and skills. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash bigdata today. That's www.ibm.com slash big data. 
jump in your car and head down the road to success at the Pajaro Valley Chamber of Commerce Business Expo on Thursday, April 21st from 4 until 7 at the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds. Meet outstanding businesses, taste the best food in the county, and enter to win fabulous prizes. We want to see you at the Expo Thursday, April 21st from 4 until 7 at the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds. Visit PajaroValleyChamber.com. Oh, no, not now. What's wrong, Andy? Apart from my computer already running slow, it keeps crashing on me, especially now when I have an assignment due in a few days. Ugh, it's so frustrating. Sounds like you need user-friendly computing to look into it. Who? User-friendly computing. They're locally owned and provide high-quality computer service to repair most PC, Macintosh, and laptop computer issues within 24 hours. Really? You bet. User-friendly computing can tackle any computer issues with viruses and spyware, network services, Services for wireless devices and system upgrades. User-friendly computing even provides on-site service throughout all of Santa Cruz and Monterey County. Wow, user-friendly computing can fix my computer before class. How do I get there? User-friendly computing located at 505 River Street in Santa Cruz across from the Gateway Plaza. Open weekdays 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturdays 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. or userfriendlycomputing.com. We've all heard the term baby boomer referring to those born from 1946 to 1964. There are an estimated 80 million baby boomers with the first wave hitting the Social Security and Medicare systems in recent years with more to follow. Many healthcare experts are predicting epidemics of Alzheimer's, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and cancer among this group. However, these impending epidemics can be averted, as there is a new group emerging. This group we call the baby bloomers, because despite their chronological age, they are still physically fit, active, working, and playing. They've heard Dr. Wallach's message regarding diet, lifestyle, and nutritional supplementation. So while many around them diminish in health and vitality, they are blossoming and blooming into vibrant, healthy, on-the-go people. Wouldn't you rather be a Longevity Baby Bloomer? For more information or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888-245-0300. That's 888-245-0300. Hi, this is Greg. Marlene and I host Flavors on KSCO. 1080 Sundays, noon to 2. Ever keep your hot foods hot and your cold foods cold. Because flavors is spice life. Hey, we were at the Vatican last week. You missed out if you didn't tune in. A lot of fun. Really cool guy. Hey, this week, who knows where we're going to be? You got to stay tuned to Flavors, Sundays, noon to 2. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is General Michael Hayden, and uh, we've been talking about America's intelligence gathering capability in Hayden's new book, Playing to the Edge. Now, switching gears uh, for a moment, you recently endorsed John Kasich in the 2016 presidential race, and uh, you cited the fact that he had the most experience and a methodical, realistic plan in terms of foreign policy and security. But what shocked a lot of folks was your number two choice, (laughs) where I don't think you just played to the edge. You walked right over it, General. I I believe you said your second choice would be Hillary Clinton. Well, that may be more a commentary on the other on the other three choices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if people thought your second choice would be Cruz, I mean, that's what everybody was thinking, and 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 all of a sudden you you sort of did an about face and said, "Well, number two would have to be Hillary Clinton," and I'm sure you got a lot of feedback on that. So, so here's so here's the theory. Uh, it was pretty easy for me to pick uh, Governor Kasich. Um, he's been an executive. He talks about these. Uh, international problems with a degree of detail and respect, if that's the right word for it, that you don't see some of the other ones use or do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he understands they're hard. He doesn't use bumper stickers and, and sloganeering. Uh, and he what, had more than a dozen years 
in Congress, many of those on the Armed Services Committees. So he's, he's, he's got good background. Now, then I was asked, okay, if it's not Kasich, who after that? And I, and, and I put some caveats out there, Rebecca. I said, look, there's a lot of stuff to the right and there's a lot of stuff to the left. But you're asking me the question in this narrow lane in which I was a professional, national security and intelligence. Mm-hmm. And there I said, you know, based upon outlook, background and knowledge, the second best choice was Secretary Clinton. Now, that, that is not an endorsement and certainly not an indication as how I might vote. It merely reflects that in my lane, she is, to my mind, behind Governor Kasich, the next most competent person to handle these issues. So I want to clarify this uh, because we've got millions of folks listening across the country. If Kasich doesn't make it, that does not mean you will cast a default vote for Mrs. Clinton. No, no. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) Well, I just want to say the media has spun this eight ways from Sunday, and you know that. Yeah, Yeah, but but again, I I went out of my way to say you are asking me about this one aspect, and we're not talking about tax policy or immigration policy or trans-Pacific trade or NAFTA, (laughs) or (laughs) we're talking about this one narrow issue. Right, right. Now, at the same time, you also called uh, attention to the fact that the documents that were stored on Mrs. Clinton's home server, uh, I think you called this inconceivable and you called her explanation incoherent. And you were pretty sure that foreign governments have already helped themselves to that information. Um, but But you'd still rank her behind Kasich in terms of qualifications. Oh, behind Kasich, yes, but ahead of some others. In terms of qualifications, look, that was a horrible thing. And you're right. Those are the words that I used. You know, setting it up that way was inconceivable. And the afterward explanations of it incoherent for anybody who has served in government. And there's no one, trust me, Rebecca, no one of my background who doesn't believe that foreign intelligence services have had access to those documents. So the way folks like me put it is simply we would lose all respect for a whole bunch of intelligence services around the world if they weren't thumbing through those emails right now as we speak. But I do point out that the sin here, the real sin, was the original sin. Once you set this server system up this way, no one had to be dumb, uh, disloyal, or even criminal for this thing to head to a very unhappy place. It was inevitable. Hence my comment earlier, Setting this up was inconceivable, and how did the permanent staff at state allow this to happen? That's a question I would really like to have answered. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been quite vocal about some of the language these candidates have been using uh, during the, ele- the primary period, and you've been cautioning them not to give enemies like ISIL recruitment content. And right. you've even gone so far as to say that uh, some of candidate Trump's statements have made America less safe. Uh, t- tell us what you mean by less safe. Sure. I mean, if he goes out there and endorses the jihadist recruitment narrative, that there is enmity, undying, unavoidable enmity between Islam and the West. He, he's just adding fuel to the fire that they want to burn, you know, that, 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 that this is them versus us. And so, so a young, dispossessed, uh, underemployed Muslim youth somewhere in Belgium now has an American presidential candidate and someone who's getting, actually getting a lot of votes kind of confirming what it is ISIS is trying to tell them. They hate you too. And so I've I pointed out, and I, I really mean this, I, hard to quantify, but all my instincts tell me it's right. That kind of statement doesn't require the speaker to become president to make America less safe. That kind of statement at this point from a primary candidate actually makes America less safe now. Well, it's also the case that the enemy's more sophisticated in terms of knowing how and what materials and language to use to recruit. I mean, clearly we have social media and Internet savvy enemies who uh, are using these sophisticated methods to communicate and orchestrate their activities. Oh, no, they're quite, quite right. They're, they're very, very good at it. Mm-hmm. Very good at it. Now, um, so, you know, you you feel that uh, Donald Trump's been quite inflammatory and uh, uh, needs to tone back the language. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, is, does Donald Trump, if he's the GOP nominee, uh, 
does who he selects as a vice presidential running mate uh, matter? I mean, for example, if he selected a security or a military expert, would that change your opinion? Uh, well, you've asked me two questions. So then let me answer the first one. Would it matter? Of course it would matter. And, and, and frankly, you know, one of the ponder games here in D.C. Is, is trying to divine who would be part of a Trump cabinet, not just who would be the vice president, but mm-hmm. who would be the secretary of state, the secretary of defense, the director of the CIA. For, for an individual uh, who has said some of the things he has said during the campaign, look, we, we, we keep coming back to this, and I don't mean to condemn the man, but we've not had a presidential candidate talk this way, you know, this deep into the campaign with so much popular support. And, and, and so, again, the partner game here, Rebecca, is, so who says yes when that phone rings? So, well, let's say he calls you up tomorrow to meet with him, and he says, what do you think job number one ought to be for the next president? As former director of the NSA and CIA, what advice do you give him? So, so here's how I divide the world, and I'm, I'm being very candid with you and your listeners, Rebecca. Um, there is a difference between advising someone who wants to be president and thereby helping him or her to be president and advising someone who is going to be the president. And uh, my answer to the first question would be I would not do that. And we'll have to see what my answer to the second question would be. Okay. Well, you know, in the business world, uh, you have to assemble boards of directors. And there are those kinds of CEOs that assemble boards of directors that are just rubber stamp directors. They're going to rubber stamp everything that the CEO wants to do. But there are also those kinds of um, uh, CEOs that realize that they are lacking in certain areas. They, they lack knowledge. They lack experience. And they use the opportunity to assemble a board of directors to buttress up their own weaknesses. Right. And Trump, generally speaking, his boards have been the second variety. So many people are standing by saying it's not so much the Donald Trump, uh, you know, candidacy. It's his cabinet that's going to matter. Do you feel he's going to have a tough time getting somebody on the, the, for foreign policy and security that uh, to agree to be on that cabinet? Rebecca, about two months ago, and I was on the road for my book tour at the time, literally scores of former officials from Republican administrations signed an open letter saying they would not do it. Now, that's an unprecedented step in in American history. It is. Um, it is, and and uh, and and it and it was powerful. It was a very yeah. powerful uh, letter, uh, and uh, people did pay attention to that. Now we're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Stay right where you are. We'll be back with General Michael Hayden. You're listening to the Costa Report. Imagine hearing the words, your child has cancer. The emotional impact is staggering. They tell you that treatment may last for years. And you travel the long road between hospital and home. Your financial worries multiply. And you want to stay strong for everyone, especially your child. But nobody understands. Your friends and family don't get it. Where do you turn? For the last 18 years, Jacob's Heart has provided essential support to families enduring the unimaginable. We have been there from the time of diagnosis all the way through the course of treatment, regardless of the outcome. With no government funding and no reimbursement for services, Jacob's Heart relies 100% on support from our community to make miracles happen for families. Please support Jacob's Heart by going to our website, jacobsheart.org. Or call us at 831-724-9100. Make a difference in the life of a child. Thank you. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and 
can drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Landowners and anyone who needs to tame acreage, help is here. The savings are big during CNN Tractor's Spring Demo Day Sale this weekend. Save hundreds on all Kubota RTVs, B and BX series, like the all-new BX70, assembled right here in the USA, featuring user-friendly enhancements, including an optional quick-attach system for loaders, pallet ports, and front blades. Complete your chores in comfort in the BX-70's deluxe seat with armrests, first-class legroom, and a wide variety of efficient performance match attachments. Get even bigger discounts on Kubota L and M-Series tractors. And during the sale, get low long-term financing on approved credit. CNN Tractors makes it so easy to get one. The Spring Demo Day Sale this weekend at CNN Tractors in Watsonville. The savings are big. CNN Tractors, give us your tough jobs. This is an announcement for all people who want to take a risk-free challenge to whiten their teeth in five minutes using clinically proven power swabs. This risk-free challenge is for people whose smile has been yellowed by coffee, tea, or smoking. It's so effective, we challenge you to try it for five minutes to see how white your smile could be. If lines are busy, try again. Dial 1-800-663-1719. That's 1-800-663-1719. 1-800-663-1719. Hey, everybody. Dave Michaels here. You know, the other day I saw a lady walking her cat downtown. She was listening to Flight 1080 on her smartphone, which I thought was kind of odd because I wasn't on the air at the time. I was on the llama headed toward the beach. She must have downloaded the app, because once you do that, you can listen to shows from the past. Remember, it's a strange world we live in, so don't go outside. Listen to Flight 1080 weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m., right here on KSEO. Recently voted the best show in the world by Christopher Columbus. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is General Michael Hayden. In the time that uh, we have left, I'd like to ask you about threats other than ISIL. We seem to be putting a lot of attention on that particular group. And I believe at one time you were Deputy Chief of Staff for the United Nations and U.S. Forces in Korea. So you've had a firsthand understanding of the threat North Korea presents. In your view, are we doing enough to keep a lid on that situation? Or is this something that we're expecting China to do? Uh, All the above, Rebecca. Uh, would be the right answer. The administration has had had a policy for the last seven years, which they've labeled strategic patience. That's a a technical term meaning ignore these guys. Um, And it it really hasn't worked, but I really don't blame the administration for this. This is, this is a really, really difficult issue. This is a, this is a pathological, dangerous little gangster state. This is not a state in the normal sense of, you know, the, the nations of the world. Uh, and one needs to treat them quite carefully. That said, I fear that the sum total of all of our actions to defuse crises with the North Koreans have taught them that they can create provocations at about any time and get away with it. And so I actually, and I, I recognize the danger in this, I actually would would, if I were still in government, I would be counseling turning the heat up on these guys to to make sure they understand that these actions are not without consequences. But Rebecca, I've described to public audiences that North Korean security policy reads like something on the bottom of a shampoo bottle. Provoke, accept concessions, repeat. Mm-hmm. And that, unfortunately, has been the cycle for about 50 years. It has been. And when you say turning up the heat, what what would that look like? Well, um, number one, the North has, over the past decade, conducted some very destructive kinetic actions, the shelling of islands uh, off of South Korea, uh, the sinking of a South Korean frigate 
in in the West Sea. Yes. And and frankly, they've not suffered any physical consequences for those actions. Mm-hmm. I, I I do think that uh, we need to make it very clear that those kinds of actions will indeed they they will elicit a response from ourselves and our South Korean allies, and the response need not be proportional or localized. Otherwise, otherwise, Rebecca, all we've taught them is they can do this anytime they feel they need to. Now, the other reality is, how do you get the Chinese to do the right thing? And here, I'm talking about from the Chinese perspective. I actually think the Chinese are acting contrary to their national interests because they're just so frightened as to what would happen if they turned up the heat on the North Koreans, and they're the ones who really have the levers. I would also make that a core part of the Sino-American dialogue, too. Well, North Korea is a major customer of China. Well, it's a major client in the terms of a major... But I mean, economically, they're, you know, they, they supply the North Koreans. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, they, oh, no, they absolutely do. So, uh, I mean, kind of, you know, taking an action is like uh, losing a, a major customer for an economy that's faltering right now. Yeah, well... There's economic economy, reasons. Sure, but compare that economy to the one where you and I are existing in <laughs> and compare how important it is to the Chinese. I mean, we're yeah. not without... Look, it's not easy, Rebecca, but we're not without leverage here. That, uh, that is that is true. We seem reluctant to use that leverage except for on anything except for embargoes. You know, we, right, we, we're right. quick to hit the embargo lever and then we don't want to do anything else. Well, you know, there's, let me just give you a thought. All right, and then this is this is an idea is kind of scuttling around the D.C. area now. The North Koreans depend a great deal on remittances from Korean workers overseas. It's mm-hmm. one of the core uh, sources of hard currency for the Pyongyang regime. You know, we can squeeze that. We have that within our ability to to go to allies, to pass laws, to 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 make sure what can or cannot be denominated in dollars, to sanction banks who would allow it, and so on. We can tighten that pipe. We can squeeze that pipe, and 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 again begin to create great pressure on the North Koreans. Now I hadn't heard that before, and that is an excellent idea. I'm writing it down <laughs> so I can ask others about why why we aren't doing that. <laughs> we have we have tools. You know, you know, when I was in government, um, we sanctioned Banco Delta Asia, which turned out was where the North Korean elites were stashing their hard currency for all their luxury goods. We were stunned at how much they screamed once we tightened that pipe down, and so there are levers here. Well, the danger, of course, is that uh, the North Koreans have been providing uh, countries like Iran weapons going back to the 1980s. Oh, yeah, oh, you, you, you bet. And, you know, colluded with the, uh, with the Libyans as well on, on these kinds of programs. Yep. And, and, and no doubt helped the Syrians build a nuclear reactor in the eastern Syrian desert. I mean, this has been a, a genuine renegade state. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not so sure strategic patience works when you're dealing with a gangster state. I mean, it almost feels like, you know, the less you do to respond, the more energized they get. Well, here's here's the thought, all right? And I've actually, you know, you, you kind of mull these things over, and you, you certainly can be more ambitious about these kinds of thoughts, Rebecca, when you're out of government without responsibility, mm-hmm. and you can be inside government. Um, it might be time... Where, where, where a president might just go to some key leaders and say, I want you guys to go think about what it is we would have to do to destabilize the North Korean government and lead to its ultimate collapse. Now, that's an incredibly dangerous thought, all right? I, I, I understand that. But, you know, we, we actually might want to think it through to see what it means, because right now, not doing that, frankly trying to make sure the government doesn't collapse, has led to a North Korea that's no more friendly, frankly more hostile, has a passel of nuclear weapons, and is getting darn close to being able to get those weapons to North America. That's not been doing so well. Yeah, that's right. Well, the proof is right there um, that they that that this uh, strategic patience has led to potentially a weapon that can reach the uh, continental United States. Right. Um, now, General, we're we're almost out of time here. Do you have a website where listeners today can go to get more information about your work and also your new book, Playing to the Edge? No, I unfortunately I do not. You know, it's coming from uh, 
my profession, <laughs> don't, we don't do some things that other people think are perfectly normal. Right. We don't, we don't want everybody contacting the former director of the NSA and CIA. Right. <laughs> That's right. But, but you can go on Amazon.com. And pick yes, up the book, can. right? And and and, and it's available. Yeah, it's available at all bookstores. I'm again, I'm I'm giving it my top rating. It's a wonderful book, Thanks. but don't start it at nine o'clock at night, folks. Um, <laughs> right. That is that is all the time that we have left today. But before we say goodbye, I do want to take a moment to thank you for taking time to be with us, and also for your service to our country. Thank you, General Hayden. Thank you so much. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Michael Hayden, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I love to hear from you. And just so you know, after every episode, one of my favorite things to do is pour myself a big pot of tea and put my feet up and read and respond to your comments. So keep those emails coming. It's one of the favorite parts of my week. And if you missed the full interview, with General Hayden or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from Apple iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, and our website at RebeccaCosta.com. The website address is easy to remember. I don't even know how we got it, but uh, what we got it, it's myname.com. So send me your comments. And while you're at the website, be sure to check out our weekly blog. Uh, you can find both the written as well as the new audio version of the blog on our homepage at RebeccaCosta.com. The written uh, blog is also available on the Huffington Post. Last week, we reviewed the qualifications which put former governor of Arizona Jan Brewer at the top of Trump's VP list for consideration. So to read the full blog, just go to RebeccaCosta.com or catch us on the Huffington Post. And sometimes we even show up on uh, Glenn Beck's The Blog or a U.S. Uh, World and News Report um, and some other locations as well. You can catch us over the Internet. Just uh, plug it into your search engine and, and you'll find a location where you can catch the latest blog. Um, and, uh, and the audio blog, again, is only available on the website at RebeccaCosta.com. My guest next week is Emmy Award-winning journalist who many listeners will recognize for his political analysis on Fox News. Juan Williams will join us to break down the primaries as we finally head into home stretch. Don't miss Juan Williams next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.